Um, I've had several uh, recent encounters with severe suffering. I mean, this is normal when you're in pastoral ministry, but I just feel like it's been highlighted recently in the past few weeks or months. Um, I've had several pastoral conversations related to suicide, for example, and recent memory. Uh, Often, sometimes when I'm on call uh, over the weekend, for example, my cell phone, if you didn't know this, is on the voicemail. Uh, whenever I'm on call, and I'll, I'll get a phone call if someone is at that dire point in, of desperation. We've also had several people, including Paula Smalley, whom you all probably know well, and others who've been badly, badly hit by cars uh, in, IC, in the ICU. Uh, this didn't happen to Paula recently. If you didn't know, that, I mean, this was a year ago, over a, or two years ago almost. Um, but other people uh, in the ICU, uh, and Birmingham drivers are just like the worst, <laughs> Are they not? Um, I mean, fear for your life. You cross the street at a pain of death. Uh, someone else I know who was bit really badly in the face by a dog and had part of her face taken off by this dog. Uh, and I just feel like a lot of people have opened up to me recently who are suffering uh, with things like severe, severe depression. I don't mean just the acute depression, but severe depression or mental health concerns. And much more, you know, financial concerns, uh, aging parents, aging spouses, uh, dying spouses, divorce, cancer, Parkinson's disease, dementia, etc. You name it. Uh, all sorts of uh, suffering recently that's been, uh, seems to have been uh, ramped up in terms of my encounters with people. Meanwhile, uh, with all of that in mind in the background, I've been really upset about insider church talk about sort of secondary, or you could even say worthless matters, especially on Facebook. I've had friends, you know, who I went to seminary with or elsewhere who are having conversations online about things like uh, uh, the way that we run liturgy, the worship, or if you didn't know what a, a rubric is, is like the things like in our service that in italics that tell you what to do and the rubrics that are in the Book of Common Prayer uh, that are, according to canon law, things that we must obey, you know, and questions about uh, things, whether or not we should we should be able to, to, to change stuff. Um, and, uh, you know, I'm having conversations with people who are suffering, and meanwhile, uh, we're getting bent out of shape about this kind of stuff. And it's, frankly, it's upsetting me. You know, I'm talking to someone on the phone who's thinking about suicide, and meanwhile, somewhere, somewhere someone is debating which candle to light first, the one on the left or the right. You know, it just seems like totally worthless to me. Who cares? God doesn't care whether you write, light the candle on the left or the right first. We don't even need candles. We don't have any lit tonight. We will when we have evening prayer. But it's not. It's just there for ambiance, you know. Uh, it's a secondary matter at best. Uh, it's not something to get sort of bent out of shape about. And this suffering is why the proclamation of the word of God is primary. This suffering in our world is why the proclamation of the word of God, and by that I mean the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, is primary. And without it... The church is of no use. Uh, I'd say that without the proclamation of the good news of Jesus Christ died and risen for you and ascended into heaven, it actually is not even a church. It might look like a church. It might smell like a church. They might light the candles correctly. uh, But without the gospel, it is not the church for suffering and dying and sinful people. Uh, You know, why are these people calling the church first? And hitting the voicemail and getting my cell phone, why are they calling the church first when struggling so severely? 
They're calling the church first because they're hoping we have something reassuring to say about God's love for them. You know, before calling uh, some other hotline or 911 to get an ambulance or a friend, the reason they're calling us first or that you might have come here tonight. You know, you might think that you've come here for other reasons, but I am convinced you've come here because you feel some need in your heart, that you're hoping that someone has something uh, reassuring to say about God and his love for you. Uh, when I was entertaining the idea of ordained ministry several years ago before going to seminary, the first qu- I went and talked to my rector, our, our pastor of our church. The first question he asked me when we sat down was, he said, do you think you have something to say? And I was sort of taken aback by that. But uh, And this is now the question when I talk to people who are entertaining the idea about ordained ministry. I ask them, do you think you have something to say? And what I mean by that is, do you feel like uh, you've got, when someone calls you in the middle of the night and who's contemplating, taking their own life, something to say that's reassuring about the love of God? Or do you feel like you can stand here at this lectern, at that pulpit, and, uh, and, and give a message of hope to people? in a way that's understandable. I don't care whether or not you want to wear chasubles and play church and light candles and break bread in a certain way. Do you have something to say? That's what he was asking me when I came forward for ordained ministry. And it's now what I ask uh, any seminarian or somebody uh, who is sort of toying with ideas of going into ministry. And after that, I say, are you sure? <laughs> because you know, you're gonna, it's crazy. It's an absolutely crazy kind of work to do. Are you sure you want to do this? Is there something else you can do instead? Um, and, you know, this uh, idea of the proclamation of the good news, the word of God is uh, written into the vision of the Cathedral Church of the Advent. And you could say this five o'clock service uh, here at the Advent. Our vision is articulated in four hearts. I've talked about this recently. Maybe you've heard it elsewhere. Maybe you've seen it in our magazine or on our website. Our four hearts, um, you know, like things that we care about from our heart are the, number one, we have a heart for the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. We have a heart for those who have not yet heard that gospel. We have a heart for those who have been burned by the church, and often people are burned by the church because they're going to a church that's not preaching the gospel, but a message of sort of duty-bound obedience and performance modification that is heavy. Uh, 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 It's not refreshing. It's not reassuring. And that's why they've often been burned by the church. And finally, we have a heart for the city of Birmingham, because God's placed us right here, right outside those uh, uh, church walls are people who are not in here who need to hear that very message, too. Um, we're so convinced about the uh, proclamation of the word of God that Frank Limehouse, a former dean of this church, there's a plaque right here in brass. Did you know about this? That says, woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. First Corinthians Uh, chapter 9, verse 16. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. So that anybody who stands up here uh, and has something to say, at the end of the day, the bottom line is that reassuring message of good news about Jesus Christ. And, And proclamation, by the way, doesn't just happen from the pulpit. It happens in our everyday encounters, too. I mean, I preach so that you know this message that you will tell your friends and family, so that when they're in desperation, when you go to the hospital, when they call you, or you encounter someone on the street who's desperate, you have something to say of reassurance as well. Or even your fellow believer who's doubting it right now, 
you need to preach to them so that they can preach to you as well. It doesn't just happen from the pulpit. It happens with the full body of Christ. And when Paul wrote his second pastoral letter to Timothy, he was desperately concerned about the continued proclamation of the gospel. That's basically the primary message of this uh, short epistle to Timothy, especially during times of opposition and persecution. And Timothy was being opposed. The church was being persecuted at that time. And you could say that that's very true now. Uh, You know, this isn't a popular message. (laughs) And people are being persecuted. You might not feel it here, but go overseas. You know, go to the Middle East. Go to Asia. People are being killed for this very message. So 2 Timothy is, uh, you know, Paul's final letter. And this is the message that he's concerned about, is that we continue to preach and teach and proclaim the Word of God. And you could say that this is the perfect epistle for the Advent. This is the perfect epistle uh, for the 5 o'clock service. In a world of utter darkness, listen to what Paul speaks of. He calls the gospel the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus. The promise of life. He greets Timothy with words of grace mercy, and peace. How nice is that, you know? In a world that doesn't seem very graceful and merciful and peaceful, uh, just as he told Timothy then, he tells us now, God's grace, mercy, and peace to you. He reassures Timothy that God uh, gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power, love, and self-control. He explains the gospel is a message of how God saved and called us Not because of what we do, but because of an eternal gift that we have in Jesus Christ. Finally, the gospel is a message about how our death sentence has been pardoned. Instead, we have life immortal. And Paul exhorts Timothy not to be ashamed of any of this stuff, which is hard to do in a world that uh, is in uh, opposition to such a message, even to the point of persecuting those who believe in it. Paul wrote all of this stuff while he was on death row. Paul was awaiting his death. He knew it was coming. And I want to say this this to you. We are all on death row. We're all prisoners in a world of darkness. Just as Paul wrote this at a time when he was in a dark dungeon and not on his sort of cushy house arrest that he had in his first imprisonment, he wrote this message when he was in a dark dungeon. Uh awaiting death, the hope that he had even then in that dark place. I recently uh, bought uh, an album that I should have had for a very long time, which is a compilation of Johnny Cash's uh, performances at both Folsom Prison and San Quentin Prison. Maybe you've heard one or the other, or maybe you have this album. Um, Folsom and San Quentin are two prisons that are in Northern California where I'm from. I've seen them both. Um, when he was at Folsom Prison, which is north of Sacramento, I talked about how old this space is. I think Folsom Prison's even older. Uh, it's sort of this medieval-looking fortress. And uh, he, he went there to perform. And by the way, he looked even tougher than a lot of the prisoners who were there. You know, he was able to resonate with them. There's something about that that's magical while he's there talking to the prisoners he puts himself in their place in a way that he's so empathetic that they, they want to hear more. It's such a relief. 
And a lot of this stuff is really funny that he's singing about in the commentary between the songs because it's a live performance. And you listen to it all, but there's one song about three quarters of the way through uh, called Greystone Chapel, which was written by this prisoner named Glenn Shirley. And somebody, the chaplain actually of the chapel there at Folsom Prison, came to Johnny Cash's hotel room the night before the performance and gave him a tape. It probably wasn't like, because this was 1968, it was probably on a reel, uh, a, a cassette of Glenn Shirley singing the song, uh, he was a prisoner there, Greystone Chapel, about the chapel there at San Quentin, uh, Folsom Prison, excuse me. And he loved it so much that he, lear- he stayed up all night that night to learn it so that he can perform it, perform it. And the guy, Glenn, was in the audience, had no idea that he was going to do this. I want to read to you all of the lyrics. Is that okay with you? Uh, of Greystone Chapel by Glenn Shirley, this prisoner in Folsom Prison that uh, Johnny Cash made famous. Inside the walls of prison my body may be, but my Lord has set my soul free. There's a Greystone Chapel here at Folsom, a house of worship in this den of sin. You wouldn't think that God had a place here at Folsom, but he saved the soul of many lost men. Now this gray stone chapel here at Folsom stands a hundred years old made of granite rock. It takes a ring of keys to move here at Folsom, but the door to the house of God is never locked. Inside the walls of prison my, my body may be, but the Lord has set my soul free. There are men here that don't ever worship, There are men here who scoff at the ones who pray. But I've got down on my knees in that gray stone chapel, and I've thanked the Lord for helping me each day. Now this gray stone chapel here at Folsom, it has a touch of God's hand on every stone. It's a flower of light in a field of darkness, and it's given me the strength to carry on. Inside the walls of prison my body may be, but my Lord has set my soul free. The reason the song struck such a chord with Johnny Cash and the prisoners there that day, and so many people have listened to it for uh, going on 50 years now, is that because it brings a message of hope in in a world of hopelessness, in a den of sin, as he says. You know, we're all like prisoners in Folsom Prison. Uh, What was the line that I love? He equates it to, it's a flower of light in a field of darkness. You know, I, I'm not going to get into the depths of nuance about this uh, theologically what could be problematic about this song. Ignore that. If you're tr- starting to think about Aristotelian dualism while I'm reading this, if you know what that means, shelve that for a moment, okay? This, the message behind that's coming, the heart out of this song, is that the Greystone Chapel at Folsom is frankly a, simple, a symbol for the gospel. The good news. There's something about that place that's always unlocked in a place where you've got to move around uh, with keys that represents this reassuring message of God and Jesus Christ. Unfortunately, after Glenn Shirley was released from prison, uh, he he toured with Johnny Cash for a little bit, uh, and he couldn't handle the f- the fame. And about ten years later, he took his own life. He took his own life. This was a man who was who felt so much sorrow that he wrote that song. It was coming from that very place. And he was a man who was desperate for hope. He was desperate for a message. 
and not a rubric, not a, a stinking rule about which candle to light first. He needed a graystone chapel, a flower of light. He needed the good news of Jesus Christ. And maybe tonight you're feeling desperate, even suicidal, or like life is a, a sort of fulsome prison or whatever. Remember that God has called you here tonight. Not to be spiritual in a pretty building with nice stained glass, but to hear the word of God through preaching, through the sacraments, and through your neighbor, who will tell it to you in a way that's probably even more understandable in an everyday mundane conversation. And this word is an announcement that life is promised to you. That we have grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father. That God has called us not by our own works, but by the gifts of Jesus Christ. And this Jesus Christ has abolished death and brought life immortal. Well, gosh, is there, <laughs> is there anything better to hear? You know, it's such a delight for me to be your preacher, to have something to say to you. So week by week, come here, and basically, if you're paying any attention, I'm preaching the same dang message, just using different Johnny Cash songs. Uh, and if you're desperate, know that this message is for you. God has indeed called you here tonight so that you can hear this word of God, and I hope that uh, it makes you feel like you're free, even in a world that feels a lot like Folsom Prison. Amen.